Welcome Barry, Church of Christ. I'm Cole Verzosa. I'm in eighth grade, going to Burns Middle School. I'm Jack Steed. Um, I'm Lucy Steed, and um, we're happy you're joining us today. We're part of the youth group here and have grown up going here. Jack and I were even baptized right behind us. I enjoy the service, especially the singing and sermons. We hope you do as well. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for bringing us all together today, where we can all come together to worship you and praise you. And thank you for this opportunity to introduce ourselves, and thank you for this church family, and in your son's name, amen. amen. Thank you for that excellent welcome. Good morning.
Christ alone. Amen. This is the point of our worship where we remember the death, the burial, and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This time of year should come as a reminder to us all, but I know for me, it should be a reminder that I do all year long. A reminder to set aside some time to set my thoughts on the importance of this time of year. See, when we're not careful, as Christians, this time of year can start to become a lot like Christmas for the world. Meaning we focus more on holiday parties, shopping, presents, rushing around, which all gives us anxiety. But we need to be sincere at this time in our lives. We need to take an intentional pause and, and a moment to center our hearts to reminisce on why we're celebrating, for us to shine to the world, to remind the rest of the world why we celebrate this time of year. See, if we don't pause and show them the reason why we celebrate, we risk an opportunity, an important opportunity, to share with the world the real reason for this season. And that's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, his birth, his coming into this world to save us from our sins and reconcile us to God. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14 through 17 reads, For he himself is our peace, who has made two groups, the Jew and the Gentile, one. He has destroyed the barrier dividing the wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh with the law of its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of two, thus making peace, and in one body reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. This is not something we should gloss over or take lightly. This is why we remember, we set aside this time during our worship to remember his death on the cross, his burial, and his resurrection. So as we enjoy our family, our friends this time of year, let us not forget to do all of that with the love and joy of Jesus in our lives. So as we take a moment to remember everything he's done for us, his love, his grace, and his mercy, let us pray for this bread that reminds us of his broken body. Most gracious and kind Heavenly Father, we come before your throne thanking you for all that you've done all that you continue to do for us. 
thanking you for dying on the cross for our sins so that we may have the chance at eternal life. Father, we ask that as we partake of this bread, which represents your son's broken body, you forgive us of our sins and shortcomings so that we may do so in a manner that's pleasing and acceptable to you. Father, we ask that you bless those who are sick and shut in, nurse them back to a reasonable portion of health and strength so that they may once again come out and worship your name in spirit and truth, break bread with their brothers and sisters in Christ, and live in peace and harmony in your name. Father, we thank you for everyone here this, e this morning so that we remember your son, remember his sacrifice, and we do so with a heart of love and peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's continue in prayer for the cup. Father God, this cup that we are about to receive, which represents your son's shed blood on the cross. Father, it is our prayer that it renews us, it restores the Holy Spirit that rests, rules, and abides in each and every one of us so that we may shine and others may see your son in us and that we are a pleasing example to you. This prayer and all others in Jesus' name, amen. This concludes our portion of worship as communion. Um, we're down to the next portion, which is the giving. Um, there are a number of ways you may give. You may give electronically, online. Um, you can find one of the elders to give. Your giving goes not only to support this congregation, but for other congregations throughout this world, for other brothers and sisters in Christ that may not have as much, may not be as blessed, or in other parts of the world that's lacking. Scripture tells us in 2 Corinthians, but since you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you excel in this grace of giving. And then in verse 13 it says, our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality, as it is written. The one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Let us pray. Father God, we come before your throne once again, thanking you for this offering we're about to receive. We ask that you bless it, you grow it, and that we use it in a manner that's pleasing to you, Father. We ask that you continue to bless this congregation in all the ways you see we stand in need, Father, and that we continue to grow not only in number, but 
in our knowledge, in our faith, in our love for mankind. Father, we ask that you bless this community that we represent so that others will see our love that you've given us that we have for them so that they will be want to know more about your name and want to know more about being a part of your, your body. Father, this, this prayer and all others we ask in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and stand with me, and uh, at this time we uh, release the kids for Children's Bible Hour. Um, infants two years old in the nursery. Good morning. Good to see you this morning. Uh, those of you who are watching online with us, we're glad you're here as well. Do you realize that we are eight days from Christmas? Eight days. And if you have small children at home, those eight days are going to go by very slowly. But if you are an adult, those eight days are already over. Okay? Whatever you had planned to do before Christmas, it's too late. You should have done it last month. It was Dr. Albert Einstein who reminded us that time is relative. I guess taught us that. 
that the rate at which time passes depends on um, your point of reference. So 15 minutes walking in the park with someone you love is very different than 15 minutes sitting on a hot stove. But it was Dr. Seuss who asked us, how did it get so late so soon? It's dark before it's afternoon, December before it's even June. My, oh my, how time has flown. How did it get so late so soon? And I think both of those doctors, Einstein and Seuss, are really saying the same thing. Time is something that's really hard to quantify. And in a lot of ways, time is hard to understand. And all you left-brained people right now are going, no, it's not. 60 seconds in a minute, 60 minutes in an hour, 24 hours in a day, who can't understand that? And all you right-brained people are going, yeah. It is a mystery wrapped in a conundrum. Who can understand time? And you're both right, by the way. This morning, I, I want to talk to you a little bit about time. We're taking a few weeks here in December, and we're focusing on the birth of Jesus. And we are focusing especially on this being a season of hope. And we've talked about changing our holidays into hope-filled days. We talked about changing our wandering with an A into wandering with an O. This morning, I, I want to talk about time, about going from being late to being right on time. And specifically, I want to talk about God's timing. I to talk about God's timing in, in the Jesus story, how God seems to do everything right on time. Because sometimes we look at the world around us, or we look at what's going on in our lives, and we kind of wonder, where's God? Why isn't God doing something right now? I mean, why doesn't God step in and, and do something about this situation? Or we see something happening, why doesn't God stop that thing that's happening? Does God not care? I mean, we kind of blame God for not showing up, for not being here when we think He needs to be here. I want you to know this morning that God always does things at just the right time. He continues to do things right on time. And that God's timing, while it can be confusing sometimes, is always perfect. And it's been perfect from the beginning of the Jesus story right to the end. Now, we have spent most of this month in the first couple chapters of the book of Luke, as Luke tells about the birth of Jesus. But I want to remind you how Matthew introduces Jesus. Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, and we're going to pause right there for a second because I don't want to blow past the statement that Matthew makes during the time of King Herod. Matthew is doing more than just giving us a calendar mark here. He's telling us some very uh, significant information that Jesus was born during the time of King Herod. Herod was a guy who was given the title King of the Jews. It was an actual legal title. He, he was given the title King of the Jews, and he liked being King of the Jews. Herod was a very ambitious guy, but he was kind of a complicated guy. Racially, he was an Arab. Religiously, he was a Jew. Um, culturally, he was Greek. He spoke Greek. Politically, 
He always sided with Rome. What was important to Herod was power, success. Let me give you just a little bit of insight into what kind of man Herod was. A lot of you will already know this, but let me just remind you of some things. By the way, this, this isn't taken from Scripture. It's taken from secular history, but it's pretty well documented. Herod had at least ten wives. But there was only one wife that he really loved. Her name was Miriam. But Herod learned, or at least began to believe that, that there were some suspicious things going on with Miriam, so he had her executed. Miriam's mother didn't like that, so Herod had her executed as well. Herod had two sons with Miriam. He had both of those sons executed. There was a friend, actually an advisor, who tried to talk some sense into Herod. Guess what Herod did to him? Had him executed. And he was no better to the Jews, by the way. He literally taxed the poor into homelessness. Herod was a major reason why there was so much turmoil, so much political stress going on during this time. Uh, history tells us that on his deathbed, five days before he died, he died a terrible death. He was in terrible despair. Um, he actually tried to commit suicide, but a guard stopped him. But word leaked out that Herod was dead. And so another son, kind of the crown prince, tried to assume authority. Herod learned about that on his deathbed, had that son executed. Five days later, he died. Herod decreed that the day he died, because he knew what kind of reign he had, he knew no one would be sorry to see him go, he decreed that on the day he died, influential Jews should be rounded up and executed because he wanted there to be wailing in the streets of Judea on the day he died. That's the time that Jesus was born into. Seemed like the wrong time. Seems like really a terrible time for God to send his son into the world. And you remember what, what Herod did when he found out from the Magi that a supposed new king of the Jews had been born? It's in chapter 2 of Matthew. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Herod had all baby boys in the region who were two or younger killed. It's known in history as the slaughter of the innocents. You, you can Google it. You know, we don't talk about that very much this time of year, do we? We don't talk about the slaughter of the innocents. That hasn't shown up on any Christmas cards that I've received or I've sent out this year. That phrase doesn't show up in any of the songs that we sing during the month of December. When Jesus was born, all was not calm. And all was not bright. And that little baby did not sleep in heavenly peace. There was a price on his head. So an angel comes to Joseph, whose life has been completely turned upside down, and is told, Joseph is told in a dream, uh, Matthew 2.13, uh, when they, being the wise men, when they had gone, 
An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. You know, this time of year we talk a lot about Mary. Rightfully so. But have you ever considered Joseph? Now, Joseph has already given up the one thing that was most important, really to all men, but especially Jewish men. He's already lost his reputation because he's marrying a, a woman who's already pregnant. Now he's told Joseph, you need to run for your life. You need to, you need to know that the most powerful man in the, in the land is trying to kill your son. So you're going to have to give up your home, your job, your people, your country. You take your wife, you take your young son, and I want you to, to flee. I want you to live as a refugee, as fugitives in a hostile land. And Joseph has to be thinking to himself, wait a minute. No, I'm not sure this is what I signed up for. Because I said yes to all this stuff, right? I said yes to marrying a girl who was already pregnant because I was told that the Holy Spirit was the father. I said yes to naming him Jesus because I was told that he was going to save his people of their sins. He can't even save his own family. I mean, what, what kind of a savior is this? But of course, we know that God was right on time. And in the middle of everything that Joseph and Mary and everybody was going through, all the angst, all the uncertainty, all the confusion, all the doubts, that God knew what was going on. And God was involved, that he cared. You need to know, whatever season you're in this morning, if you're struggling with confusion and doubts and just, this is a hard season for me. Life has gotten really hard. Where's God? How come God hasn't shown up? You need to know. God knows exactly what's going on. And he does care. He is at work. And his timing is always right. So, Back to our story. Herod is merciless. He sends soldiers to Bethlehem in the region there. And the instructions were, you enter these homes of these Jewish people who were powerless to stop them. And if you find a boy who looks to be two or younger, you kill that boy. And that's exactly what they did. Entered a home, found a boy, killed him. Went to the next house, looked for another male child, two or under. And I don't know if you've ever thought of this before, but don't you know that every year that Joseph and Mary celebrated Jesus' birthday, they had to think back to all those little boys who didn't get a birthday. They had to think back to all those little boys who never got a chance to grow up. And they had to remember all those families, those parents, who were no doubt thinking, Mary and Joseph shouldn't have run. They should have stayed here. Because my child is dead because Herod was trying to kill their child. Don't they know that had they sacrificed their son, all these other lives could have been saved? If Jesus would have died, all these others could have been saved. Mary's going to have to live with that for a long time. 
And you wonder how it affected Jesus. Jesus knowing, had I given up my life then, a lot of people would have been saved. Well, his life began just like it was going to end, with very powerful people trying to put him to death. And a lot of times, especially this time of the year, we want to leave Jesus right there in Bethlehem. We want to you know, celebrate the birth, and I'm, I'm all for that. But this morning, I don't want to leave Jesus there in the manger. I want you to fast forward 30 years to another small town, uh, Bethany. John talks about it in John chapter 11. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Herod was an enemy. Lazarus was a friend, a very dear friend. And Jesus gets word from Lazarus' sisters, the one you love is sick. They don't even have to say his name because Jesus knows exactly who they're talking about and he knows exactly what they're requesting when he gets that message. The one you love is sick. And Jesus, we know you're going to come do something about that. Because he's the one you love. But Jesus doesn't seem to be in a very big hurry. Jesus doesn't seem to be real surprised that Lazarus is sick. He doesn't seem to be very troubled that Lazarus is sick. Jesus is a two-day journey away from Bethany at this time, but he doesn't leave right away. He actually hangs around where he is for two days. Then he makes his way toward uh, the home of Lazarus. And John says in verse 17, On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. He'd been sick, now he's dead. In fact, he'd been dead for four days, a, a, a time frame that was very significant in that culture. Verse 21, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, If you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Martha says to Jesus, and I think she's being very respectful. And I think she's being very humble. Martha says to Jesus, Lord, you could have done something about this. But since you weren't here, because you didn't show up on time, our brother is dead. The family of Lazarus, the friends of Lazarus, they had long since given up hope that this... uh, this tragedy was going to be resolved. Listen, one of Satan's, I think, greatest tactics is to come to you when you are at the bottom, when you are hurting, when your heart is heavy, when you are struggling with something mightily. And I think one of his greatest tactics is to whisper in your ear, it's over too late. Nothing can be done to change this situation. Not even God could step in for your life right now and make anything any better. This is what it is. 
Because Satan knows if he can get you to give up on yourself, he's ahead of the game. But if he can get you to give up on God, he wins. Here's what happens in John chapter 11. They came to the grave. There was a cave with a stone rolled across the entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, said, Lord, by now the smell will be terrible because he's been dead for four days. Jesus, the time for you to have done something's come and gone. It's not a good idea to open up this tomb. Jesus responded, Didn't I tell you that you'll see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me. But I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here, so they will believe that you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And <laughs> Lazarus came out, bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. Martha told Jesus, your timing is terrible. Jesus said, my timing is perfect. Martha said, you're too late. Jesus said, trust me, I'm right on time. Martha said, he's already dead. He's been dead for four days. Jesus said, I'm telling you, you are going to see the glory of God if you believe. Now you unwrap them and set them free. It certainly seemed that Jesus was four days late in answering the prayer of Martha and Mary. It certainly seemed that he was four days late in showing up where they really needed him to show up. That he was four days late of instilling any kind of hope into this hopeless situation. Jesus, to every other observer, was four days late. And of course we know he was right on time. He was in control. You will see the glory of God if you believe. I want to see the glory of God. I want to be unwrapped and set free. Let's fast forward just a few more days uh, to the city of Jerusalem. John says in John chapter 12, verse 23, this is Jesus speaking, the time has come for the Son of Man to enter into His glory. The time has come. Then in verse 27, Now my soul is deeply troubled. Should I pray, Father, save me from what lies ahead? But that's the very reason why I came. Father, bring glory to your name. Jesus says, the time has come. This is the right time. Jesus was born into a time of trouble. Now his soul is troubled. When Jesus was born, powerful people were trying to put him to death. Now powerful people are about to succeed in putting him to death. As a child, if his life had been sacrificed, a few others could have been saved. Now, with the sacrifice that he's about to make, all of mankind can receive salvation. It's what Paul's talking about in Romans chapter 5, verse 6, that verse that we love so much. 
When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. The reason we love that verse so much is because that verse is just so good. There's so much in that statement that Paul makes, but don't miss the obvious. Christ came. The Son of God left heaven, came to earth. The thing that the whole world is celebrating this month actually happened. Jesus left heaven, came to earth, was born in a stall in Bethlehem. That story is true. That's good news. But the best news is that he died for us sinners. That he didn't stay in a manger. He lived a perfect life and then he went to a cross. No one ever could have imagined Jesus' life playing out like it did. No one could have imagined the Messiah playing out like, 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 that, like it did. You know, as a man, they wanted to put Jesus on the throne. They, they wanted to sit where Herod sat, but Jesus wouldn't do that. So he was rejected. And that same body that was put in a manger was nailed to a cross. And a lot of hearts were revealed at the cross. And the crowd was yelling, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate was washing his hands of the whole thing. Peter was denying that he even knew Jesus. Roman soldiers were just doing their job. But at the foot of the cross stood Mary. And she's watching her son being crucified, hanging on a cross, and there is not a thing that she can do about it. And I suspect that she remembered hearing a strange person tell her not so long ago, it seems, blessed are you among women. She doesn't feel so blessed right now. And she watches her son breathe his last. And she watches as they take a spear and they, they pierce his side. And she remembers another strange man, a prophet, telling her a sword will pierce your soul as well. And she knows now what that prophet was talking about. But Mary was there on the other side of the resurrection as well. When the book of Acts opens, Mary, the mother of Jesus, is there. And she realizes that his sacrifice, his victory over death, because he came at just the right time, because he was crucified at just the right time, died for sinners at just the right time, anyone who suffers, anyone who sorrows, anyone who's confused, alone, disappointed, anyone who is, who is hopeless can find hope in Jesus Christ. It's the good news. Jesus Christ, born in a manger in Bethlehem, crucified on a cross, in Jerusalem, put in the borrowed tomb, raised three days later, ascended into heaven, standing at the right hand of God, and someday, one day, he is coming back. He will come back to claim his own. I am positive, I firmly believe he came as a baby. One day he's coming back as a king, and I don't know when that day is. I hope it's soon, I really do. But I don't know when that day is going to be, but I do know it's going to be right on time. He's going to return at just 
the right time. So, as we wrap this thing up this morning, maybe today for you is just the right time. Maybe you came in here and you didn't realize it was the right time. Maybe this is just another Sunday and you were going to do what you always do on Sunday. But now you're starting to realize God's been at work through all these things I'm doing, through all these things I'm going through, through all these questions that I have, all my confusion. God's been at work. And maybe it's just the right time today for you to make a commitment to Jesus or maybe a recommitment to Jesus. I don't know. For some of you, it might be just the right time to be baptized. Jesus was baptized. He commanded us to baptize. Today might be just the right day for that. Maybe there's some things that you need to reprioritize in your life. Some things that you need to, to surrender to God again. Today is just the right day for that. And if we can help you in any way, we're going to invite you to come to the front and let us know. Let's go ahead and be standing and we'll sing. Thank you for participating in worship at Bay Area Church of Christ. If you have a prayer request or some other need, please let us know by sending an email to prayer at bayareachurch.org. That's prayer at bayareachurch.org. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace.